0: in the book. We are halfway through the book itself. There's only uh, five chapters left, including chapter number six. Uh, But it's not over yet. We are not quite to the finish line. Uh, And and if you put yourself in Mordecai and Esther's shoes, uh, of course, it's easy for us. We read the story. We we know the story from front to back. We can read all ten chapters pretty quickly, and we know how it ends. We know that it ends for the good guys. But at this moment in the story, put yourself in their shoes, and they're still very uncertain of what's about to happen. They're still very unsure of how things are going to work out. At this point, Esther, Mordecai, and the Jews are still facing total annihilation by Haman and the decree that he's already ordered. And and certainly, I'm sure that maybe they've seen some success. Esther was able to go in before the king and not die. That's a success, I would say. Uh, She was able to get him to come to uh, the first banquet, he and Haman, and now she had them invited to to a second uh, banquet, and so there were successes. There was, there was movement forward, but still there was race yet uh, to run. There uh, was still steps that needed to be taken uh, for Esther and Mordecai, and, and as I think about life in general, and certainly as God allows things to come into our life, life can give us opportunities where we would want to quit. And you don't have to raise your hand to show uh, that you have experienced that or feel that way, because I know, speaking from personal experience, that life always gives us opportunities to want to quit. Uh, the trials, the tests, the difficulties, uh, the frustrations, uh, those things that God allows into our lives to test us and to find out if we're going to continue to follow us, uh, they give us reason, at least in our spirit, to want to quit. Uh, we may not quit on God and get out of church and say we don't believe Him in anymore and not read the Bible, but in our spirit, we've been tempted to quit and our heart's not in it anymore. We just go through the motions and and things uh, don't mean as much to us spiritually anymore. Uh, and and there are sometimes, and I'm sure all of you can attest to this, there are sometimes when those. Moments in life, those stretches in life, they all come on the same day. You ever, you ever have one of those days? You know what I'm talking about. You wake up late, and then there's no coffee. Amen, Shayla. Uh, uh, you, you, you get up in the morning, and while you're trying to find the coffee, you kick the dog, and now the dog hates you. Uh, you, uh, you, you your favorite shirt that you want to wear to work or school is dirty. Uh, you go out to start the car. It won't start. Then when you do get it started, you realize it needs gas. Then on your way to work or school, you hit every single red light. Uh, and, you know, if you're lucky, don't get pulled over. Then you get to work or school late, and then as soon as you're there, you realize there was something that you had to do that day that you completely forgot about. Everybody have one of those days? Okay? You know what I'm talking about. Uh, and on those days, uh, it is very tempting to just want to quit. It's very tempting to just say, well, there's no point in going forward. I'm just going to go back to bed. Uh, I'm just going to curl up in a ball and hope the world ends and life goes on without me. Uh, and it's very hard in those moments for certain as we talk about looking for our purpose and knowing what God has for us. It's very hard to see our purpose in those moments. And, and I think this this series, this this study in Esther, while it is fitting certainly for all of us in general as we look for our purpose in life, as we want to follow God's purpose in those times and in those moments when God is not speaking and when it doesn't seem that he is visibly leading, uh, it is even more fitting uh, in this time that we call 2020, Uh, because 2020, if If you can appreciate this like I can, uh, it seems like one of those days that has just continued for an entire year, or at least for a very long extended period of time, uh, where every time uh, we turn around, there's something else coming at us, and we think that it's an opportunity, a light at the end of the tunnel for 2020 to get better, and then we realize it's just another train coming to run us down. And... It's just continued. You know, I think one day, I, I heard somebody say this, I think one day, uh, maybe our children one day, uh, will use 2020 as a verb. You know, somebody, somebody tries to do something crazy and, and you know, you say they're going to go all 2020 on me or something like that. But anyway, um, and at least for me, I look at 2020, and maybe this is just me going to be very open and transparent with you today. I look at 2020, and yes, there have been moments when I've seen God work, and there have been moments when I have, have, have seen God move, and I've seen him done some amazing things, and, and I have to focus and, and remind myself that in small moments and in little flashes, I've seen God begin to move just like we've seen throughout the book of Esther. But as I look at it as a whole, it's very easy to get discouraged and want to quit because a lot of it, for me, a lot of it has been in silence. A lot of it has been waiting. A lot of it has been not knowing. And a lot of it, and I think that's why I'm so drawn to the story of Esther and Mordecai, because it's very similar to what they've gone through. And Esther and Mordecai, it's not recorded that they ever heard God speak to them. They prayed, they fasted, but it's never recorded that God. It's never recorded that God said, "Go this way," or "Do this thing," or "Have this banquet," or "Or invite them to come again." Uh, we can see God leading, and we know that He is there, and we see God's unseen hand moving and working things together. And that's why we've been studying this. Uh, but it's been a lot of silence for Mordecai and Esther, and and so this. Entirely just for me. And so you may be here just listening to me teach to myself, and that's fine. I'll let you do that. Uh, but this morning, uh, I just want to encourage us this morning. Two words keep going. Two words keep going. Uh, I'm, this morning, uh, we're not going to drop any deep theological, exegetical, ph- philosophical, biblical truth on you this morning. I just want to encourage you to keep going. I just want to encourage you to keep following. To keep trusting, to keep obeying, to keep seeking, to keep pursuing, uh, to keep looking, to keep on going. Because I I believe, and this is what we have to believe, that your purpose is here. Your fulfillment is available. Your your satisfaction is ready. Your why is right in front of you if you'll just keep on going. So let's pray, and then we're going to look at Esther about how and reasons why we can keep on going this morning. Father, we come before you today. God, we thank you for your many blessings, and God, as I just look out across this room this morning, this this is a blessing to me, God, and I see you moving and working in this place even now this morning as as we've gathered together, as we've joined in together to want to hear from you. Father, I'm thankful for that. God, I pray that you please help us to see from your word this morning the example of Esther and Mordecai. Lord, what you have given to us is a glimpse and hope to keep on going. God, I pray that you please speak to us. Holy Spirit, be with us. Calm our fears, still the distractions. Lord, push out thoughts that would keep us from focusing on your word today. God, be with us in the service that will follow, that we would lift up your name and glorify you. Father, we love you. And we ask this in your name. Amen. There's a story about a young lady uh, in the 1950s by the name of Florence Chadwick. And Florence Chadwick was a professional swimmer who specialized in ocean swimming. And uh, for some reason, this is the kick that she got on. And at one point uh, in 1950, Florence Chadwick became the first female to swim across the English Channel from England to France both ways. She swam across both ways. She swam from England to France. And then a little while later, not the same day, she turned around and swam from France back to England. First woman to do that, set records both times that she did that. And so in 1952, after she'd accomplished that, and she would go on later to, to swim the channel, uh, I think two more times, she would swim other, uh, other ocean courses that, that people commonly swim, But there's one in California that's known for its particular rough surf. Uh, it's known for having uh, sharks. It's known for not being the easiest swim in the world. It's 26 miles long. It's from Catalina Island, to the coast of California, and she wanted to be the first female ever to swim this course. Now, that's a whole lot more than I would ever imagine. I I barely wanna get in the pool. Uh, So she wanted to swim 26 miles, nonstop. She couldn't get out of the water. And so on this day in 1952, she set out from Catalina Island. She had a, a convoy of boats around her to protect her, to watch out for sharks, to, to make sure that if she needed to, she could get out of the water. And when she started, there was a thick fog. Couldn't see anything. Couldn't see. She could barely see the boats that were around her. Couldn't see the California coast 26 miles away. And she began to swim. She swam. She swam. She swam. And for 16 hours... I can't imagine that. I can't even walk for 16 hours, but to swim for 16 hours, she swam. And finally, with the fog so thick, again, still not being able to see the coastline, barely being able to see the boats around her, Florence Chadwick said, I quit. She said, I can go no further. I quit. And they said, okay. And they pulled her up into the boat. When Florence Chadwick got up into the boat, she realized that she was a half mile from the coastline, a half mile from the California coast. Well, that wasn't going to discourage Florence Chadwick because about a month later, she decided she was going to do it again. She jumped in the water off of Catalina Island, and it was a beautiful day when she got in the water, and almost immediately, Fog came in, and this time it was even worse than the first time. She couldn't even see the boats that were around her. And she began to swim, and she swam, and she swam, and she swam, and she swam so fast, and so consistently, and so uh, uh, motivated that she finally got to the coastline. She never quit, she beat the world record by two and a half hours. Two and a half hours, 26 miles. And so they, when, when she got out of the water on the land, of course, this is a big deal. She's the first lady to do this. And so they began to ask her and they said, Florence, man, what happened? What changed? From two months ago when you tried this the first time, you swam for 16 hours and quit half a mile from land to now when the fog was even worse, you got in the water and you kept on, keep swimming, I'm just not gonna say it. Uh, She kept on swimming and you beat it by two and a half hours. What changed? She said, I got in the water and I pictured the coast in my mind. And the entire time, I kept looking for the coast of my mind. And as long as I didn't lose sight of where I was going, I could handle the trip getting there. As long as I never lost sight of where I was going, I could handle the trip getting there. And so this morning, I want to encourage you. I want to give you reasons to look ahead and see where you're going to keep on going or to keep on swimming, how you want to do it. Number one, keep going Because God is working even when you can't see it. Keep going because God is working even when you can't see it. We're in Esther chapter number 6. Let's jump back into the story. Look at Esther chapter number 6. Look at verse number 1. The Bible says on that night could not the king sleep and he commanded to bring the book of records of the Chronicles and they were read before the king. And it was found written that Mordecai had told of Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's chamberlains, the keepers of the door who sought to lay hand on the king Hasuerus. And the king said, what honor and dignity hath been done to Mordecai for this? Then said the king's servants that ministered unto him, there is nothing done for him. I think it's, it's interesting. This, this chapter takes place the night after the banquet that Haman and the king have attended with Queen Esther. And at the end, of course, we we talked last week how Esther was offered half of the kingdom by the king. And she said, no, I want you to come to a banquet. And at the end of that banquet, the king said, all right, what do you want now? Do you want half the kingdom? And she could have said yes. She could have uh, uh, told him everything that Haman was planning on doing and solved the problem right there. But she said, no, I want you to come back for another banquet. And here we see why. Look back at verse number one. Now look at those first three words. On that night. On that night. What night? The night that the king and Haman were waiting for their next banquet from Esther. The night that would not have existed if Esther does not follow God's leading and wait to bring her request. The night that would not have been there if Esther had jumped was right in what God wanted to do in her own time and in her own way on that night. Esther couldn't see it, Mordecai didn't know it, and even the king didn't realize it, but God had a plan that he was working out even in this moment. God gave the king insomnia so that he could work his purpose. So that he could work his plan. So that his providence could work in the smallest of details to fulfill his purpose for his people and for Esther and for Mordecai. And, and look back at uh, verse number two again. or Excuse me, verse number one. It says, On that night could not the king sleep? And he commanded to bring the book of the records of the chronicles and they were read before the king. And so uh, as a way, and and maybe you're like the king and uh, this helps me if I can't sleep, I like to read a little bit. And so the king couldn't sleep. And so he said, all right, bring me some reading. Bring me the most boring reading that you can find. Read me the chronicles of everything that's happened in the kingdom. And so they began to read to him. And he found this account that he didn't even know about. And the story is actually in Esther chapter number 2. Esther chapter number 2 and verse 21 says, In those days, while Mordecai sat in the king's gate, two of the king's chamberlains, Bigthana and Teresh, of those which kept the door, his guards, were wroth and sought to lay hands on the king Hashuerus. And so these two guys were guards of the king, and they didn't like him, and so they were going to betray him and try to assassinate him. Verse 22 And the thing was known to Mordecai, who told it unto Esther the queen. And Esther certified the king thereof in Mordecai's name. And when inquisition was made of the matter, it was found. Out. Therefore, they were both hanged on a tree and, look at this last line, it was written in the book of the Chronicles before the king. It was written down. But apparently, with everything else going on in his kingdom, the king forgot. The king forgot what Mordecai had done for him. The king forgot what had uh, taken place. And as he read this, on that night, he realized, well, hold on a second. Mordecai, his, his good deed has, has gone unpublicized. It's gone unheralded. It's gone uh, unnoticed and unrewarded. And, and let me pause just for a second here because I think this points out to us the need for the importance of daily, ordinary faithfulness. Because if you're to read Esther Before you get to chapter number six, when you read that little story in Esther chapter number two, you think, what in the world does that have to do with anything? You have no idea. It seems like it's just this little tiny bit about Mordecai that's kind of like filler in the story. It doesn't seem to have a point. But guess what? Mordecai was being faithful and god was going to bless that eventually daily ordinary faithfulness does not go unnoticed by god uh, hebrews chapter 6 and verse number 10 says god is not unrighteous to forget your work in labor of love which he have showed toward his name and that you have ministered to the saints and do minister god does not forget or miss the faithfulness of his children hey if you keep on going and you keep being faithful even if it's hard, even if you're not sure how you can, let me remind you that God does not miss that. If you keep being faithful to serve, whether it's uh, in the children's ministry or, or, or in the music ministry, in the choir, the orchestra, or, or you just stay faithful in being in the house of God and reading your Bible and pursuing, God sees that. He does not forget it. He does not miss the faithfulness of his children. God, let me give you this statement god is a god of details working on even the smallest levels to accomplish his purpose in our life god is a god of details and he uses those small moments of ordinary faithfulness in our life that we don't think really mean a whole lot oh well they won't miss me if i'm not here or they won't miss me if I'm not in my place. Or they won't miss me if I'm not where I'm supposed to be. Mm-mm. God says those ordinary moments of faithfulness, those details, those are exactly what I need to bring my purpose to, to fulfill. It would blow our minds if God tried to reveal everything that he was trying to do. If, if God were to, to show you, you know, if God were to have a Facebook memory for you of every little thing that he did to bring you where you are today, uh, Facebook would break, first of all. <laughs> you wouldn't be able to handle it. To bring you where you are today, to this place, to have the opportunities that you have, to have the, 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 the resources that you have, to have the people around you right now. If God were to show you everything, it doesn't happen by coincidence. It doesn't happen by chance. This was God orchestrating it for you to be here at this moment in this place. And if you were to get on the very nitty gritty details of all of those things that God did, don't just think that God just kind of throw out some big picture plan and then the universe took it from there. No. God said, I am working on the details the ver- Remember, we, we talked about the sovereignty. That's the big picture of God. That's God making sure that his purpose, his overwhelming, overarching purpose is going to take place, but then his providence is working on the details. His providence is orchestrating every little thing in every relationship in every moment in every second in every opportunity that you have to bring his purpose about. Unfortunately, we still have a whole lot of trouble trusting him with the details. Even though it is true that God does work out the details, we still have trouble. Why? Because we have that need to be in control. We feel like if we're in control of the details, then things will be better. If we're in control of how things work out and the who and the what and the where and the why and the when, then everything will be better. No. We've got to trust him with the details, we've got to trust Him. We need to realize that He's working out more than we can ever comprehend. More than we can ever comprehend. I, I, if, if God has things that He's got under control that you don't even know about, why would you even try to worry about the things that you think that you can control? Let Him take it. Let Him work it. Let Him uh, let Him bring peace. Let Him bring rest. Let me say this. I think one of the reasons why we struggle is because we don't see God's timing. We, we don't see the whim is a big deal to us because we, again, we've said this before, but in our society, we want it now. It's got to be now. It's got, you know, you don't want to sit in the, in the fast food line very long. And I am right there with you because if I have to sit in a fast food line for more than three minutes, I don't ever go to that fast food restaurant again. My wife will attest to that. Uh, we, don't uh, we don't want to wait. We don't we, want, we want everything microwaved. We want everything instant, uh, you know, instant pots of the devil. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, we want it now. We want everything now. Listen, it's in that next statement. Timing is everything when it comes to your purpose. Timing is everything. And God's timing specifically is everything. Ecclesiastes 3.11 said, he hath made everything beautiful in his time. He hath made everything beautiful. It's like God's painting a picture. God says, it's going to be beautiful. It's going to be complete. It's going to be perfect. It is going to be a masterpiece. But in my time, in his time, God is doing so much more in your life than you think he is doing god is doing so much more than you can just see in your immediate surroundings he is arranging and changing and maneuvering and and orchestrating and establishing places and people and connections and relationships so that you when you arrive where you're supposed to be your destination will be ready for you you know uh yesterday I had the the chance to, uh, to fill in for Mrs. Crumley, uh, we had a practice yesterday for the Christmas program, which we'll talk about in a minute, uh, but uh, filling and playing the piano for the orchestra. And those of you that are, like a few of you are in the orchestra, you know that by, by yourself, your, your part by itself kind of seems insignificant. Now, there may be some solo moments, and there may be some fanfare, and there may be some pretty cool things. But for most instruments, if you were to just have the instrument play your part, nobody would be impressed by that. What they play may be impressive, but it wouldn't mean a whole lot. They don't necessarily carry the melody the whole time. They don't necessarily carry the same rhythm the whole time. It wouldn't mean a whole lot. But when you put all of those small little pieces together, man, I can't wait until Christmas. It's going to be fantastic. It'll be awesome. And that's what God does. Those small little details that you think, oh, that's insignificant. Oh, that doesn't matter. Uh, uh, you, you may even overlook it. When you put them all together, oh, man, it's beautiful in his time. I love verse number one. Again, look back at it. It said, on that night, on that night, it's an important night. God was going to move the heart of the king in favor of Esther and Mordecai. God was going to make it so that Esther and Mordecai's purpose would be fulfilled. Now, remember this with me. Esther does not cover, the book of Esther, the story of Esther does not cover a short period of time. From chapter 1 to chapter 10, that's not a month. It's not even necessarily a year. This is a long, extended period of time, maybe even decades and throughout all of this, God's timing is woven in uh, and working through time and circumstances, each moment not appearing necessarily to lead to anything insignificant until the entire process has been completed. Every moment and motion matters. And that's why we've got to trust That God is leading even when we can't see it. Because God's moving and making all of those things happen together. Why do we keep going? Keep going because God is working even when you don't see it. Number two. Number two, keep going because God is leading if you choose to trust him. Keep leading if you choose to trust him. Now... (laughs) This uh, well, look at it. Uh, Look at Esther, chapter number six. Look at verse number three. Bible says, and the king said, "What honor and dignity hath been done to Mordecai for this?" And the king's servants that ministered unto him, there is nothing done for him. And the king said, "Who is in the court?" Now Haman was come into the outward court of the king's house to speak unto the king to hang Mordecai on the gallows that he had prepared for him. And the king's servant said unto him, Behold, Haman standeth in the court. And the king said, Let him come in. So Haman came in. So the king reads the story of Mordecai's faithfulness uh, and his bravery and his courage and his loyalty. And what happens after that reads like a Hollywood story. Because now the king's like, Oh, man, we got to do that somebody's out in the court kind of like Esther was standing out there waiting to come into the king and he said who's out in the court now remember this is the middle of the night so this is a little weird and they said Haman's out there but Haman you can go back and read it in chapter number five he's been so offended by Mordecai not bowing down to him he's so upset about it his family tells him to build a gallows to hang Mordecai on just Mordecai that's it and so he's in from the king to hang mordecai Uh, and what happens next just gets even better because then the king says all right tell haman to come in here and so haman comes into the king and the king says to haman he's like haman i've got a question for you he's like what would you do if i needed to honor someone incredibly so if i needed to give the greatest honor that i could bestow as king on someone what would you do well in haman's mind he says I'm second in command, so who else could he mean but me? And so Haman says, okay, King. You take this guy, you put your robe on him, your robe, king, not just a nice robe, not just the best one that you can buy, your robe, the one you're wearing right now. Then you take your ring, the king's ring, the king that makes decrees and laws official, you put it on his hand. Then you take your horse, the one that you go to war with, king, the one that you have rode into battle with, the one that you look great on, by the way, you put him on that horse, and then you take one of your servants, one of your highest servants servants and you lead that man through the king, the streets uh, and you declare you have that man declare this is what the king does to those that he likes these are the this is what the king does in fact look at verse number nine the end of that verse says, thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delighteth to honor and in haman's in haman's mind you know he's thinking man i'm gonna look good in that robe i'm gonna look good on that horse man, I'm going to make sure that I'm wearing this to make sure that it matches the robe, and I'm going to make sure we go down this street so these people can see me. And the king says, great. Look at verse number 10. I love this. Then the king said to Haman, make haste and take the apparel and the horse, as thou hast said, and do even so to Mordecai the Jew. Now, I wasn't there, obviously, but I can only imagine that Mordecai or Haman's mouth went from here to the floor real quick. And if he'd been able to, he would have gone out underneath the door without having to stoop because he would have felt about this big, sick to his stomach. Because now he had to do what he thought he was going to get done to himself, to the very person. He was there to ask the king if he could hang this guy. And now the king's saying, hey, take him out and honor him. Pretty awesome. You think about this though. If you're Mordecai, and now Haman's coming to you and said, "Hey, we got to do this." First of all, is this a setup? Uh, (laughs) Wait a second. But never in Mordecai and Esther's wildest imaginations was this a part of the plan. You think about that. (laughs) They couldn't have. Ask them how this goes down. Not like this. That's for sure. Never in their wildest imaginations. Guess what? That's how God works. Both of them stayed faithful, they allowed God to lead, they trusted and they obeyed, and God was able to work his purpose according to his plan. I mean, think about this. If if Mordecai doesn't stay faithful, if Mordecai is is not doing what he's supposed to be doing. If he, if he says, you know what, I'm a Jew in a foreign land, I don't care about the king, I'm going to allow these guys to kill the king. If he does that, if he gets bitter bitter, and abandons his post once the decree that Haman has issued has been decreed, uh, if he tries to manipulate the situation himself and maybe hire somebody to take out Haman and get rid of uh, what's going on before they had a chance to be destroyed, none of this would have taken place. But Mordecai trusted stayed faithful, and God's plan worked out better than they could have ever imagined. Uh, Look at Ephesians chapter number 3. That's not Ephesians 3. There it is. We know this verse, but man, it's hard hard to believe sometimes, right? Ephesians 3.20, Now unto him, that's God, that is able, we know that, to do exceeding abundantly above. All that we ask or think. That is a lot of superlative in one phrase. God says, I'm able, and I can do exceeding, abundantly, above all that you ask, excuse me, ask, i get it right, or think. God says, I can do all of that. I can, beyond your wildest imagine. But here's the thing. Often, we rush ahead of God because we can't see it. We rush ahead of what God has for us because we can't see what's in store for us beyond our wildest imaginations. We give God our own ideas. We try to enact our own plans. We try to create the situations that we want. And they pale in comparison to what God is trying to do. They don't even come close. I mean, think about this. What if Esther had decided to take matters into her own hands and taking care of Haman uh, after the first banquet instead of asking the king for a second banquet? Well, first of all, we do know this. There would not have been that night where the king would have read about what Mordecai did. Now, we don't know what happened. The story obviously didn't go that way. But too many times, we rush ahead of God because we can't see what's in store. We cannot see what's beyond our wildest imaginations. But can I? Because God is leading if you choose to trust Him. And then, number three, keep going because God is going to change things suddenly. Suddenly. I think one of the reasons that God has given us Esther is because he shows his unique way of orchestrating events and circumstances in a way that doesn't work things out in a straightforward manner. God has given us the book of Esther to say, I don't do things like you think I ought to all the time. I don't do things like you expect me to do all the time. I'm going to do things how they ought to be done, how I want to do them. God weaves as we wait. He positions as we pause. He maneuvers as we move. And then when the time comes, God raises a curtain on a brand new scene. And our purpose is right there. There's a reason why God said, be still. Psalm 4610, be still. Why? And know that I am God. Because if we're trying to do things our own way, we can't ever see God work. We won't ever know that he is God. Exodus 14, 13, Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. When we try uh, to move and do and create for ourselves, we miss what God is doing. We can't see what God is doing. And God isn't going to force what he wants to do on us. He wants to know if you're just going to trust him. And that time when God, if we will trust him to lead, when God does bring about his purpose and his plan, it's going to happen. It's going to happen suddenly. It's going to happen, now, not suddenly for him. Remember, it's in his time, but it's suddenly for us. Now, you think about this. Have you ever had a, have you ever been to a surprise party? Surprise birthday party, right? Hey? Um, maybe this is just me, but to me, it's more fun to be doing the surprising than it is to be surprised. Okay. Uh, and you may like to be surprised. I don't know. That's, that's, that's not my nature. Uh, and I think that that's kind of true with how we wait on God is because God just likes to do the surprising. God says, man, I can't wait to show you this. I can't wait to do this for you. Man, you want to see what's coming from this side. And you ought to see what I'm bringing over into your life from this side. And you want to see what's about to come up on this side. And all of a sudden, that's for you. God has something exciting. Uh, he, he wants to be a God of suddenly. Isaiah 48.3 says this, I have declared the former things from the beginning, and they went out forth out of my mouth, and I showed them I did them suddenly, and they came to pass. Let me give you that last statement. Off. Oh, I already gave that to you. Never mind. Actually, I don't have that one. My notes are all wrong. I am sorry. Uh, For Esther and Mordecai, let me say this, God changed things suddenly. Again, who knows how long this story has been going on for sure. We don't know how long. But in just a matter of one night, the situation was about to change. For all of us that are in here, I wish I could tell you how much longer that you'll have to wait for your situation to change. If you're waiting on God to do something, I wish I could tell you. I wish I could tell you when the job is coming, when the relationship status will change, when your future pursuit will become real to you. I wish I could tell you, but I can tell you this, that when God does have things worked out, when he has the places, the people, the pathway, it will be perfect, first of all, and it will come suddenly. It may come when you least expect it. Now, sometimes things have to get worse before they get better. Sometimes you have to hit rock bottom and God will let us do that because when we do that, we discover he's the rock at the bottom and he's just building up our faith muscles and strengthening our spirit. And then when he does finally produce a miracle out of that mess, he's the one that gets the glory and the praise and God will allow us to get backed into a corner no longer, Uh, we we, we have no idea what's going on, we don't know how to solve our challenges or the problems around us, and he does so so that we can discover that he alone is God. You know, it goes back to what we talked about a few weeks ago, that if we're not in tune to spiritual things, we're going to miss it. We'll miss it. We'll just get frustrated and disillusioned and apathetic and leave God altogether as far as pursuing him. And so this morning, as we finish, let me just encourage you to keep on going. If, if, if 2020 has been one of those days for you, like the rest of us, where everything has gone wrong, and you look up and you say, God, I just don't think I can take it anymore. Hey, keep going. If, if you say, I don't know how I can make it. Right? I, I don't know how this is all going to work out, God. Keep going. I don't know uh, if this is real. I don't know what to believe. I, I don't know if I can believe, and I don't even know what I believe. Hey, keep going. Keep going this morning. When you don't see him, when you can't hear him, when you aren't able to feel his presence or really tell if he's leading, keep going. Keep looking. Keep trusting. Keep waiting. Keep going this morning.